Green on Go. Jay, I'm really excited about today. Me too. I'm nervous though, more than excited. Today we get to talk to Professor Miguel Benitez. Head ref at ADCC. I'm going to try and list all the things that Miguel does, okay? Head ref at ADCC for yep. the ADCC Opens. Yeah. Uh, train guy. <laughs> <laughs> Podcaster. Yes. School owner. Yes. And obviously head instructor. Yes. Legit dude. Yeah, silky smooth voice. Silky smooth voice. Lou was very impressed by his voice. Really? And I said, oh yeah, down. this guy is um, New Jersey's answer to Jason Momoa. She was even more impressed. Asked <laughs> to see his Instagram and I said no. <laughs> i become self-conscious. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's amazing. So we found his podcast. Uh, I, I, well, I've albumed his last year and it's it's been really great to listen to. So the fact that he he said he's happy to come on ours. I'm like, you don't really know who we are, do you? <laughs> you have no idea that we're going to build you no exposure. The answer to that is yes. And then you work it out. But I'll tell you something. I can guarantee he's going to get plugged so much heavier through our reels than anyone else will. Exactly. So Miguel, you can enjoy that. <laughs> okay. So uh, do you want to do an introduction to the episode? What we episode? God, 15. One 15. five. Wow. Okay, guys, welcome to Better Than Average Podcast, episode 1515. <laughs> With a special guest, Professor Miguel Benitez. Let's get after it. Amazing. And obviously, Chris and Jay, who cares? <laughs> and we're, so, we're on the go. We're go. We're go. Professor Miguel, so you're in Denver, Colorado right now, is that right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. Guys, thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah, so I'm in Denver right now, waiting in my hotel, waiting for a room because I got here super, super early. And with the time change, you know, I'm on the East Coast. So it's a three-hour time change. So I took off at 6, and then I'm landing in Denver at 8 a.m. So, uh, you know, not too bad just walking around downtown right now. That's mental. So how many, how big is the Denver Open that you're doing? So, you know, it's funny because my initial reaction is to say, Oh, you know, it's not that big. It's a decent size. It's, it's 700 competitors. But, you know, 700 competitors is a lot of competitors. But, you know, ADCC is really growing. So uh, I think the Costa Mesa Open had like 1,200 competitors. The West Coast Trials was 1,200. Uh, so hopefully it goes by pretty smooth because we're going to have 12 mats for 700 competitors. So it should be a nice, quick, easy day. I, let me not, let me rephrase that. A quick, smooth day, hopefully. <laughs> I can imagine that must be mental because how many how many of those matches will you personally referee, will one referee do? So it, it all depends on what mat you're on. I, I don't try to think about it. I don't think about the time. I don't think about matches. What I do is once I get on the mat, it's just I'm just zoned in and I'm refing until someone literally grabs me and says, it's time to take a break. Uh, you know, in the past, uh, when there's more than one referee, you know, we'll have like a system like, hey, you do two, I do two, or you do three, I do three. So you have a steady rotation going. But, you know, even that will make adjustments. You know, if I get three matches, they're all quick subs. You know, I'll tell the guy, you know, I'll tell the other ref, like, hey, I'll stay on if you know, got your break. But, you know, for Worlds, it's probably a smoother transition with the ref because there's only so, so many matches. But when you start doing the opens and the trials, you could be out there, you know, forever. Wow, uh, it's, it's so serious for us because um, we don't have that much here in England. It's so small. Like the fact that you have to fly to where you are now, you know, anything more than an hour's drive for us is really far away. <laughs> yeah. So you can just, you can just fly over somewhere. It's so 
common for you guys, right? To just do this. It's such a big thing. We don't have anything like that here. We have a few uh, comps here and there. <laughs> a few comps, yeah. A few comps here and there. You jump in the car, you drive up to the comp, it's the same time zone. Let's you put it that way. Drive out the well, same for, for you guys, you can probably use the tube system, right? You just jump on a train and go from country to country. <laughs> so I guess it's kind of similar in that sense where we go from state to state. You can just hop around and you know go all over Europe. Yeah, yeah though we don't. <laughs> no, we're islanders. We don't go anywhere if we can avoid it. <laughs> Good for you guys. I mean, the change of accents, just going 100 miles is insane. I mean, you, you must hear it all the time, uh, especially in the UFC with the amount of characters, especially from Liverpool. I don't know if you guys pick up on it so much with the change of accents within England. So I'll tell you right now, I actually pick up on it because I'm a huge fan of uh, that TV show, Ted Lasso. So I love <laughs> I love hearing like the different accents on the, with the footballers. Oh, Notice man. I didn't call them soccer players. I didn't call them <laughs> soccer players. I called them footballers. I'm trying to keep it, uh, you know, I don't want to get laughed at over there. We appreciate uh, that, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but no, even, even over here, like, you know, I live in New Jersey. And depending on where you live in New Jersey, and, you know, it, it's one of the smaller states the accent changes. So, you know, someone from up north speaks a certain way and then someone from central will talk a certain way and then you get to South Jersey and, you know, you would think they're from like Alabama or from the deep south. <laughs> it's very unique, you know, and you're like, you know, two towns over. That's amazing. So, yeah, we, we, we don't, we're not so fine-tuned into that. We, we're, we just don't know, do we? The vastness of America yeah. compared to the vastness of England. This is very different. Yeah. But this is why we're, we're coming together right now. We're making the world smaller. We're learning from each other's cultures. We built that bridge that the higher echelon yeah. can do. Yeah. Over, what is it? Over the pond, hopping over the pond. Yeah. By the way, you guys have a great podcast. I, I crack up listening to you guys. Um, you guys are doing a really good job. So just keep it going. Oh, thank you so much. We, we really appreciate that. Yeah, that really means a lot. Yeah, yeah. full disclosure. Yours is the first yeah. jujitsu podcast I listen to. That's incredible. Uh, that's incredible so so because of that i need a favor i'm drinking i'm drinking a starbucks coffee and i get like the little like fun flavors so if i get cream on my mustache i need someone to tell me like hey get it off you'll be pleased to hear this, this video is not going out the audio will go out the video oh so just the audio and, yeah, oh so perfect even better pick your nose do what you need to do yeah i can do whatever going. i need to do it's all fine perfect yeah. so where you are in um denver miguel are you it's, it's that's an altitude right do you notice the altitude there? I haven't noticed it, but I also haven't gone for a run. So I, I don't really know. Uh, I, I don't foresee myself anytime soon doing like a sprint down the street just to see if I can feel the difference. But I'm sure I'll, I'll feel something tomorrow when I start running around those mats, refing the matches. Yeah. Um, if you guys have if you guys have seen some of my matches, my, my refing style is very active and very you know i'm running all over the place which probably isn't the best way to do it as far as like you know preservation of energy but it's the only way i know how to do it yeah what i would say is i love that about the adcc in that the refs are very active like when you watch the ibjjf they're kind of they're very still aren't they and they don't really interact with the competitors so i kind of had a question about that so yeah, of course. Like recently, I was watching um, Kynan, and he—I don't know whether you saw this—but he got DQ'd against in his match uh, BJJ Stars Ten. He got DQ'd for doing a reap on um, mm -hmm. Mika Galval. So my my kind of question for you is: when you're refing the ADCC matches, do you give advice on when people are at risk of breaking rules and things like that, or do you just let them crack on? No, so that's actually a great question. I'm glad you brought that up because 
you know, as as uh, the ADCC Opens are getting more notoriety and becoming more prolific, and there's more and more people competing, you know, Mo Mo Jasmine and the entire staff are doing such a good job of constantly fine tuning the rules and fine tuning ways that we can get better. So that's really why we're why you know we're doing so many opens. So that by the time it gets to the World Championships, you know, it's all about you know just getting the reps in, repetition, 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 uh, and learning. So one of the things that we have discussed is especially for the referees specifically don't let something get to a point where a competitor can get injured and now you have to go with a disqualification you know you have to know the rules and be versed in the rules if you watch my match that i repped against uh, uh damien and andrew tackett you know one of the things that i did when andrew tackett started to you know pike up while damien wasn't on his back is i shouted I was like don't dump him on his head don't dump him forward and you know the reason for that is I don't want to end a match that's going so well because of a technical rule like that. So one of the things we're doing is stop it before it becomes a problem, uh, especially with some of the rules that they're starting to uh, implement this week with, you know, with the kids, like, you know, the kids can't do the scissor triangle or, you know, you have to have at least one arm in if you want to triangle. you can't just scissor your legs around the neck. So, you know, well, how do we stop that? Easy. As soon as they go for it, you know, slap their feet, tell them, let it go. You can't have that and just keep the match going. You don't want to go to a neutral reset if you don't have to try to avoid the situation before it happens perfect we 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 thought that would be the case injury preventative as well yeah. uh, don't yeah. let it get that far but being the amateurs that we are <laughs> thought we'd seek professional advice on that yeah you know and it's it's a tricky situation because you have to understand the rules and you have to know the rules and you know even you know at the open last week in Costa Mesa there were a couple of rules that some of the reps missed and you know, I'll tell you right now, Mo is not one to mince words. He watches the tape, he reviews the matches, and he'll tell us right away, like, this is exactly what I don't want to see. This is the problem. And, you know, he's setting the standard very, very high. And, you know, for me, especially coming with, you know, I, I've been doing jiu-jitsu now for 17 years. And, you know, I did the MMA round. I watched jiu-jitsu all the time, and I watch a ton of MMA you know, I steal a lot of what those refs do. You know, I gave the example of it's no different than when a fighter grabs the cage. You know, the ref doesn't just let them hold on. No, you right away, you see it, you slap the hand, you say, let go of the cage and you just keep it going because you have to enforce the rules on those maps. And, you know, the more you enforce them before it becomes an issue, the less work you have to do later. Wow. Do you ever get nervous uh, refing particular matches? All the time. Okay. okay. All the time. So perfect example when so when i got invited to do adcc worlds i was absolutely blown away but my original i truly did not think that i was going to ref i thought i was i would maybe get one or two matches just to get my feet wet and then you know i was basically just a filler and sure enough as the day as the day progresses you know mo grabs me he's like you're on this mat you're refing all the matches on this mat i don't want to see anyone else i was like okay like now we're we're going then the second day comes around and I remember leaving my hotel room and my wife, you know, was there. She was like, are you nervous? And I was like, babe, there's no way I'm refing today. Today's finals and semifinals. They have all the professional judges, all the professional refs, the guys who have been doing this for the last 15, 20 years. I'm not doing anything. We get to the stadium and Mo goes, we're going to have five refs today. These are the five refs. He says the first, the first four. And then he goes, and Miguel. And I raised my hand. I was like, I was like, uh, which Miguel? He's like, you. And I was like, oh, awesome. So I just ended up refing. Then we get to the finals. And again, just, you know, me being naive, I was like, there's no way they're going to let me ref a final. Like, I've only been refing a year. They're not going to give me a final 
ADCC World Championship in front of 13,000 people. And they grabbed me and they said, you're going to ref a finals. So I had, uh, I had the baby shark match. And I remember, you know, 13,000 people, they've got, you know, the commentators, Bruce Buffer's announcing the name. And I remember at one point I see my wife and we lock eyes and she's sitting in the VIP. She has Nate Diaz in front of her. She's sitting next to my coach, Tom DeBlas. Rogan's down there. And my wife like looks at me and she mounts her like, this is so exciting. And I shrugged my shoulders and I was like, what, how did I get here? I don't know what's going on. And then when the, when the match started, my vision just got very like, like in and out, very wonky, like wah, wah, wah. And I just had a brief mind where I was like, get your shit together right now and do what you're supposed to do. And then I, I zoned in and I got to ref the match, but you know, it was definitely something that, uh, and I've said this uh, on the, on my podcast where even if I would have had 20 years experience, this ADCC, this most recent ADCC was a unique experience because it wasn't in a gymnasium in, in Finland or in China or in Sweden. It was in Las Vegas with 13,000 people. So now it's not just athletes that are watching it. There are, there are spectators. There are fans. There is booing when you ring someone's hand. There is a roar. So even if you did have experience, at that particular moment, everyone was brand new. Oh, that's big, isn't it? That's really big. Just the names you said. I'd look around and think, oh, I am in the wrong place. I'm just going to go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm out. Yeah. So, so perfect example, just a little, little side story. Uh, you know, I was in the back, which by the way, I think the coolest thing about being able to ref ADCC was the fact that I had the big referee polo and I could just go backstage and do whatever I wanted. Like I, I thought that was the coolest thing ever. So <laughs> I was like, I was like, this is such a cheat code. I shouldn't be back here. So uh, you know, I came up, you know, with Tom DeBlas, Ricardo Almeida, you know, Team Henzo Gracie. So I've known, I've known Master Henzo since I was a blue belt. So I see him in the back and I was like, you know, hey, Master Henzo, can I, can we take a quick picture? And he's like, of course, man. And he goes, but you know, Hoyler has to be in the picture too. I was like, oh yeah, absolutely. And then I see Marcelo and I was like, oh, can, you know, can Marcelo get in the picture? And he's like, yeah. So I'm thinking I've got this picture with Henzo, Hoyler and Marcelo. I'm like, great picture. Uh, I see this guy in a suit. And I handed him my phone. I was like, hey, man, I hate to bother you. Can you just take a quick picture uh, of us four? And he looks at me. He goes, yeah, absolutely. But, you know, can you take my camera and take a picture of all of us? And I was like, yeah, sure. And then I look up and it was pretty dark back there. We were behind the stage and like the light hits him. And I look up and I'm like, I'm like, you're 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 Mark Kerr. He's like, yeah, I'm like, you're you're the you're the smashing machine. He's like, yeah. And then I look around and I'm backstage with all the Hall of Fame inductees. So I ended up handing my phone to Richie Martinez and I was like, I was like, Richie, I'm so sorry, dude. I was like, you're so much more than a cameraman. Can you take this picture? So I have this phenomenal picture that absolutely looks Photoshopped. Like it looks like it's all these legends and I should not be in there, but I am. So it's myself, Hodger, uh, Mark Kerr, just absolutely everyone. And, uh, it's, that's probably one of the coolest experiences just because, like I came up watching those guys and now here I am taking this picture with them and they're all like, yeah, like you should be here. You're an ADCC ref. And for me, I'm like, I definitely, you know, conned my way into this position. So <laughs> let me just keep doing what I'm doing and hopefully nobody notices. Oh, wow. I think that's interesting. You feel that way considering who you're under and where you've come from. See, to us, we're looking at that thing. Oh, well, you're under Tom DeBlas. You know, these guys anyway, you kind of just, you know, you just slide in quite comfortably. But the fact that you're saying that, you come from the normal world, normal life, and there's all these people around that you said you look up to. That's mad. We don't get to see it so much here. 
get to see a few people. We might see Fionn Davis at a competition. Yeah. I want to go say hello. I'm, like, I'm too scared now. <laughs> <laughs> I won't say anything, actually. <laughs> now, Fia, I got to ref several of her matches. She is, man, let me tell you, you know, a lot of people like to, you know, fake intensity. She, You could feel the energy when she was out there. From the very first match that I ref, you knew that she truly believed in her heart she was going to be the ADCC champion. And I, I believe she was willing to die to get that title. And it was the most exciting matches I got to match were Fionn's. She just was such a stud. And I became such a fan of hers, um, you know, especially after that. But, yeah, it, it's, you know, you're sharing these mats with legends. And even with that, it was, you know, I remember we were leaving the venue on at the end of the finals after the Galvao and Gordon match. And I see this big gold bus. And I had seen on Instagram that they were going to use a gold bus for all the competitors and the rest. So I was like, I grabbed my wife. I was like, that's our bus. It's going to take us to the hotel because everything was backed up. I think like an Uber was like a 45 minute wait. And I was like, I'm not waiting here with all these maniacs. Like I'm tired. I've been working all day. And I get on the bus and I see Rafael Lovato on the bus. And I was, I'd seen him, I'd seen him three times that whole weekend. And I was always so nervous to say something to him. And then finally I was like, Hey, I was like, I've been so nervous to say hi to you. I was like, such a huge fan. been watching you for years. I was like, you know, I'm, I wish I got to ref one of your matches. But, uh, you know, I just want to shake your hand and say, you know, it's, it's a pleasure to meet you. And he's like, oh, thank you so much. He goes, great job out there. And I was like, what? Like, this is blowing my mind. So now I'm sitting on a bus with, like, Rafael Lovato going to our hotel. And, you know, I'm, I'm part of the crew. It was very, very surreal. Uh, quite the experience to be honest so do, do your teammates your 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 students do they look at it like we do so wow miguel's there with all these guys like how is that happening or do they think yes miguel is with all these guys that's who he knows so i i really don't know i think if they realize it's exciting but i i try to downplay it uh so for example like i'll constantly mention that i'm the head ref for adcc in america but I do it in a way where it's like I'm almost like making fun of it. Uh, so they because I, I never want my students to look at me and be like, oh, you know, you know, bow down to the master. I don't like that. I, I truly believe that at the end of the day, I'm no different than my students. The only difference is that I kept doing it while everyone else was quitting. And I always, you know, UFC, they say they call it taking the call. I always took the call, whether it was like, do you want to ref? Do you want this match? I always took the call. Uh you know, as long as I was healthy to do it. And I just, I never said no to my instructor. But, you know, I always, I always poke fun out to being the head ref. Like, wow, I just had my ninth wedding anniversary with my wife. Oh, congratulations. And in the anniversary, thank you, thank you. I wake up every morning, I'm waiting for my wife to come to her senses and realize, like, I'm a, I'm a complete degenerate. But I actually, I actually signed my wife's anniversary card. I wrote, like, some nights notes. And I wrote, love, my name, and I put in parentheses, head ref, ADCC, and Ang, North America. And she looked at me and I was like, that's right. I was like, just in case, just in case you get some thoughts, that's who your husband is. So she laughs and giggles about it. But I hope my students are proud of it. Yeah, I bet they would be. And uh, was your wife impressed by that? Because our wives, they don't really care. We talk to them about a competition and they're just like, well, I, I don't care what's for dinner. Oh, no, she, no, 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 she's, you know, she cares, you know, during the moment, but then once it's home, she's like, yeah, you know, the head ADCC ref can do the dishes right now <laughs> or make peanut butter, you know, almond butter and jelly sandwiches yeah. for the kids. Uh, so yeah, it goes out the window. I can't, I can't pull that card when it's bedtime. When it's bedtime, I have to suffer with her and try to get the animals to sleep. Yeah. You're back to white belt when you're home, at home, right? <laughs> L- less than white belt. My <laughs> wife is like red belt and I'm, I'm, I'm still wearing the leather business belt. She just 
beats me in a submission all day, every day. <laughs> so here's a question for you. You obviously do the ADCC Worlds. It's a massive experience. How do you, in terms of your mindset when you have, because you're, you're obviously working full-time still, a normal job, you know, like us. In terms of how do you kind of balance that? Because that must be very surreal to kind of do all those things at once. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is a question that I was asked by someone when I first opened up my academy. And, you know, they were like, you know, I wasn't even doing ABCC yet. And they asked me, how do you balance, you know, your, your, your wife and your family and, and the job and your business? And what I did was I turned around, I was like, I was like, hey, do you have a favorite TV show? And he was like, yeah. So I was like, do you, do you watch it faithfully? He's like, oh, yeah. I was like, what else, what else do you like to do for fun? He's like, oh, you know, I garden, you know, have a garden. I was like, great. I was like, you see all that stuff that you do for fun? I don't have that. I eliminate them. For me, what's fun for me is trying to progress, uh, you know, my career in real life and my career in jujitsu as far as I can. That's what I truly get joy out of. So, you know, if I can sneak in an episode of a TV show, well, I could do that or... I could watch some of my matches from the last ADCC and see things that I did wrong or things that I missed or go back to specific resets and see if I did actually reset it perfectly. Not just close enough, but I want it to be perfect. That's my goal. I want every finger, every toenail, every hair exactly where it was when I said the stop. So I just focus on that. And then when it's time to go to work, I focus on work. So there is no free time. When I have free time, I'm doing things, you know, like, you know, right now, like I have some free time and, you know, I really like your podcast and you guys are kind enough to mention me. So, you know, this is what I like to do. I can support you guys and in turn support myself and help support ADCC and spread the word. So it's easy for me to balance because I love everything that I'm doing. And if I do everything the right way, hopefully, you know, not too far from now, one will take over and I won't have to do the other one. So I had a question about this. We We were discussing last week or the week before, we couldn't figure out if you had two jobs, if the running the academy was your main job or working on the trains was your main job. And I think we've got our answer so, now. Yeah, so um, actually, it's funny because every time I, I set the, the goal that I'm going to be able to just run my academy full time, I either get a promotion or a raise at work. And so I kind of just keep riding it out. So I was a train conductor for four and a half years and I, I got promoted to be a training instructor. So now I actually instruct all the new conductors. So when you get hired, I teach you all the rules, how to operate the train. I, I teach all of that. So I'm literally talking all day long. I teach trains and train regulations all day. Then I teach jujitsu all night. Then I do my podcast. Then I get home and I talk to my wife and I talk to my kids. So, you know, it's a good thing I like to talk, but yeah, I'm just going all day long. But And I love, I love doing all of it. So I'm not on the trains anymore. Uh, like even, you know, we were supposed to do this podcast yesterday, uh, but I actually got delayed. I had to go on the trains to check on students to make sure they're doing their job, uh, which, you know, some do, some don't. Yeah. Uh, and then we got, we got stuck in New York city for two and a half hours. So that was fantastic. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it looks busy, doesn't it? I've never been, but uh, I would like to. Uh, it's Just check it out. It's a great time. Yeah. I really should. Uh, bring the kid, bring the wife, leave the dog here. Yeah. Yeah, can't bring the dog, but yeah, I'll definitely come with the family one day. <laughs> it's a good time. There's so much to do. I uh, my son's really big into Mario, and I showed him a picture of the, the Nintendo store in New York, and it's like this massive three-story, you know, store with just all the Nintendo and Mario stuff. And he's like, we need. 
He's like, Dada, can we go tomorrow? I was like, no. I was like, that's not the way it works, kiddo. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I'm very fortunate. New York's only a 45-minute train ride away, and we get there pretty quickly. So Yeah, because you know, so our geography's not very good in America. Montgomery is where you train. That, that's where you, yeah, you, you're based out. I'm assuming you live there or very yes. close by. And is that a- yeah, so I live in a town. I live the town over. Okay. Uh, so my drive to the school is, is 10 minutes. Oh, wow. Okay. Or a half-hour run, I guess. No, we're not doing that half hour run. Well, it's a it's a ten minute drive because I drive like an animal, um, you know, and I'm doing like seventy five on twenty five mile an hour roads. Um, but you know, one of the one of the perks of being Professor Miguel is I'm kind of covering those towns, so they you know I have a big green truck, and once they see it, they're just like, ah, hey, you're Professor so nutty. Oh. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, see you later, guys. Like, the John Wick, the John Wick of Montgomery. Like, you working again? Yeah. Yeah, I just kind of gave them a wave, and they're like, "Oh, slow down!" I'm like, "Yep, got you. See you later." <laughs> oh, that's amazing. That's really good. Yeah, it must be tough to balance two jobs. Um, I mean, I don't feel like my job's a job personally. Um, oh yeah, your job's not a job. I've got a proper job. I have to work a normal job. Yeah, I don't have a normal job. It's fine. <laughs> just you're just doing the PT. Thing. Yeah, it's easy. You know, it doesn't feel like work because I enjoy doing it. But I've had a lot of jobs I don't yeah. enjoy. You know, you, you, you might land where you want to land. I, I think it's uh, you're you're in a privileged position if you end up doing what you love to do. Not many people would do yeah. that because most jobs in the world, let's face it, I can't see how most people would want to do that. I had a question about that as well, uh, yeah. Miguel. So, are you into trains, or is this just something you no. ended up doing? <laughs> you're like a train spotter. No. no, I don't. I don't. It's God. This happens so often more than you would think there are people that like truly love trains and i've run into people and they're like oh so you work you know work you work on the trains and i'm like yeah they're like what's your favorite engine and i was like i don't i don't care they're all like what do you mean they're like oh i you know i have my favorite engines in 1967 dual i'm like i don't know what you're talking about i i get on the train so i can get paid every week that's why i do it now Granted, I did enjoy when I was on the train because I just love interacting with people and you meet some fantastic people on the train. But I love what I do right now with my job. That's why it's also difficult for me to, you know, because there are people who are like, hey, you got to focus on the school full time. But my school continues to grow. You know, we're at around 250 students with intros coming in every single day. And, you know, my career continues to grow as well. But I love what I'm doing because at the end of the day, what I'm doing is I'm just teaching. And I love the challenge of trying to take something that people really know nothing about. And, you know, jujitsu, when you first start your white belt, you don't know anything. You don't know an arm bar. You don't know a Kimura. So for me, when I have someone and they go from an arm bar to a triangle or vice versa, and they're a white belt, that's exciting for me. And it's the same thing with my job. When someone comes in and now starts understanding, you know, railroad terminology and understands the rule and can apply it and implement it into what we're supposed to do, it, it makes me feel like, okay, like I'm, I'm going to help this person have a career and have a life and, you know, because they're able to understand this and it challenges me as well. You know, how can I really simplify this? Actually, one of the things that I'm doing a project right now at work is we are taking our operating rules, which is for all the Northeast and it's for all the trains, not just the train company that I work for. Um, and we're trying to create a, almost like a cliff notes version of it. So we're using all the examples that I use in the classroom and we're going to put it, you know, pen to paper and try to create that and then start presenting it to the other railroads so it's like hey instead of your students just having this book that's so black and white uh here's one that really simplifies it and it's all using examples of you know everyday examples that i use 
that relate to these, you know, extremely complicated rules that were written by lawyers for lawyers. Amazing. Interesting. So how did you get started with, obviously, you 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 do the uh, train sort of conductor training and how did you get started with the podcast? So uh, I've obviously, I listened to the podcast <laughs> and I listened back recently to the first episode, Origins of Professor Miguel. Um <laughs> But what wasn't really clean to, clear to me is how did you and Roy sort of first decide to sit down, sort of get the mics out and do the podcast? So uh, in my circle of friends, if there's ever a story and I'm at that point and I'm there and I could tell the story, my friends always say, stop, let Miguel tell the story, let Miguel tell the story, let Miguel tell the story. Uh, if you ever listen to Tom, Tom will tell people that I blatantly lie and make these stories up. I don't. I absolutely tell the truth. I might add a little seasoning to it, absolutely. but the story absolutely happened. Uh, you know, I think Tom just gets upset because he realizes he was an absolute maniac when he was younger. Uh, but they're they're a hundred percent true. So I always just in, I always wanted to have a platform where I could communicate with my students without having to keep them after class for those you know those twenty minute life lessons. And some students love it, and I love to do it. I know some people absolutely hate it. It's like, hey, like I'm here for jujitsu, you're not my life coach, get me out of here. But what, I think one thing people have to understand is that time where you're communicating with your students, that's really where you start setting up the culture. That's when you can start setting up the standards for your expectations at the academy. It, it just stinks that it's right at the end of class and everyone's exhausted. So one of my teammates uh, from Ricardo's, uh, one of Ricardo Almeida's black belts, Pete McHugh, he started a podcast. And I, I reached out to him and I was like, hey, how easy was it for you to do that? And he literally gave me everything I needed to start. He's like, you know, get this, get these microphones, download this app. He's like, you should have had a podcast years ago. So I knew I wanted to do a podcast. I kind of knew that I wanted to be jujitsu based, even though now we're kind of slowly starting to get away from it. This new episode, this most recent episode really goes back to jujitsu. And I knew I wanted to do it with Roy and I knew it was going to be Roy because I tell everyone Roy and I had a podcast for three years before we started the podcast, we just didn't have microphones and nobody else heard it because we would have those post-training math sessions where we, you know, him, myself, there was one night where it was uh, myself, him, and another one of our students, Charlie, he's a purple belt now, one of my purple belts. And all of our wives called us at the exact same time at like 11, 15 PM. They're like, you were done training two hours ago. What are you doing? But we were having these conversations that were, you know, kind of, they were flowing and going and you know we didn't always agree, but we always found common ground. So we started with that first episode and I told them, I was like, we have to do at least 10 episodes. Once we get to 10 episodes, we can see if we actually have something or if we don't. And we just recorded our 63rd episode. Oh yeah, congratulations. I saw that, that is incredible. Sorry, thank you, thank music. you. Yeah, it's, it's amazing really. And I like the quick ones as well. You know, the 15 minute. Quick taps. Yeah, the quick taps, they're brilliant. That's really cool. You know. Uh, that I'm glad that people like that because I actually I did two of them and then I stopped and part of something that I have an issue with and you know I need to get past this and, and Tom yells at me for this all the time with social media right now everyone's an expert everyone's a motivational speaker so I've always been I just I don't want to be what everyone else is doing so everyone's posting all these motivational speeches and do this do that I'm like I don't want to be another one so if you want it go listen to these guys but then I, I did an episode of uh, the Flow podcast, and uh, Hayden Martz, owner of Flow, Tom the Blast affiliate, uh, 
he told me that he liked the quick taps. And then afterwards, he's like, dude, you got to start doing those again. He's like, because sometimes I just want 15 minutes to hear what your thoughts are on certain things. And then I can keep it going. So I started doing them again and people really, really like them. Uh, so I'm glad that you guys like them. I'm definitely going to keep doing them and probably start recording them and putting them on YouTube as well. Oh, that's interesting. No, no I think they're really good. Is As you said, when you need a quick 15 minutes, my my work is 15 minutes away. Perfect. I can get it on. Yeah. I can just quit, li quit listen to it. Walk in the dog. Get a good listen. Get some wisdom. Right, get some bigger yeah. wisdom. Yeah, or, yeah, that's the wild. I don't know if you want to call that wisdom, yeah, but you can. You can... <laughs> I mean, look, you've heard our podcast, right? <laughs> we fantastic. We don't know what we're talking it's about. Fantastic. <laughs> we're all over the I place. I love it. I love it. I think I think it's great when you do a podcast like that. You have to be all over the place. Like, just keep it raw and have a conversation. Yeah. And I think that's what you guys do really well, which is something that I kind of wanted to do with my podcast, and that was my goal. I didn't want it to feel like you were listening to a podcast. I wanted to feel like you were sitting at a table while two people were having a conversation, yeah. but you were there. And I, I, I that's how I wanted to feel. Uh, and you guys do a great job with that. No, so we really appreciate kudos it. Thank to you. you. Um, it means a lot coming from yourself. Yeah, we, we didn't know how it would go. We just decided to do it. Um, Chris would say it to me after training, after beating me up. Jay, just <laughs> save it for the podcast. And I was laughing until it became real. Yeah. Yeah. And we just did it. And... Uh, wasn't that hard, really, was it? And now there's a lot of things I say to you. Don't say that on the podcast. Yeah, there's a lot of things we can't. <laughs> they have to rein you in a little. Yeah, we can't. We can't put it out. <laughs> Thing is, because I have no consequences. I, I'm self-employed. You know, I, I. Yeah. I can't get cancelled. It's fine. Whereas I can for sure get cancelled. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I I tell Roy all the time. I'm like Roy. If you weren't a senior citizen and Jewish, you would be cancelled because you say things. I was like, then if I said that, I'd be in trouble. I was like, but because you're old. And you're Jewish, you can't, no one can do anything because it's, it's ageism or you're going to get called an anti-Semite. So, I was like, so you played very well, Roy. You so, played very, very well. Is Roy 60 or, or, or nearly 60? He's 59. He's 59. And I love him because I don't know if you caught up with this. He's so scared of dying. He's like, I'm, I don't have a lot of good years left. I'm like, Roy, you're not 80 years old. You're 59. Like Helio was training until he was like 97. I think you're going to be okay, buddy. Yeah, yeah. And he's in he's in fantastic shape. Roy's in great shape. He's in better shape than some of the twenty five year olds. But he's so obsessed with like, I don't have a lot of good years left. I'm like, what is going on with you? Wow, like, what? just relax, old man. Where does that come from? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But he he's having like he's having like a jujitsu midlife crisis. He got his purple belt, and uh, as soon as he got it, he's like. I'm really going to start focusing on leg locks. So now when class is over, it's just him and like the 22, 23-year-old purple belts. And he's going over like, you know, uh, cross Ashi and Senkaku and double trouble. <laughs> and he's learning all these leg entanglements. And I'm like, what are you doing? He goes, I love it. I feel like a wow. white belt all over again. But he's like, try, like and, and it's fun because he tried to do it during these live roles against people who are, you know, half his age. And he's hitting it. He's hitting them. He's catching it on people. He tried it on me one day, and I was like, "Good luck, old man." Yeah. So I just, I, I kicked him right in the chest, uh, an aggressive push, and I got out of it. So, so he's like, "Oh, jeez." To, to get some perspective, you, you come from quite a sporting background, anyway. You play uh, American football. All we can just say football for yes. the American listeners. It's just football. I don't care for English yep, football. football or soccer. I don't like it. Um, <laughs> I, I couldn't name you an active soccer player. See, I used to work at a football stadium and I had the same problem that you had in that everybody would talk to me about the football and I n knew nothing about it because yeah. I grew up playing rugby, yeah. which is kind of as I close love as rugby. 
it's, okay. it's so a wicked spot. With your background, um, I'm assuming you're a, you're a big, strong man, much like Chris here, coming <laughs> from that, that rugby background. How big is yeah, Roy? Yeah. Or how small is Roy? So Roy, Roy's not a small person at all. Um, he's not small. He's about, a, he's uh, roughly about, you know, 200, 210 pounds. So, you know, just over 99, you know, just over 99 kilos. And he's solid, you know, very solid. He's got, you know, strong arms. Wow. And he's, he's probably about, you know, six foot one. Oh, wow. So I didn't. So he's not a little, he's not a little guy. No, he's strong. He's a big, wow. strong dude. As in like, you know, you can't really tell from someone's voice. <laughs> So, no. I, had, I had no idea the size of Roy. Roy's. You thought his voice didn't. Roy's terrifying. It didn't now. sound as strong as he is. was terrifying to me. No, Roy. Roy's a big guy. It's funny. We were in Atlantic City for a, a grappling tournament, and you know, uh, some of the students from Ocean County BJJ were there, and they listened to the podcast, and they were talking to me about the podcast. And I was like, I point. I was like, Hey, that's that's Purple Belt Roy right over there. And they were like, that's PBR? He didn't know what PBR was because he's old. And I was like, purple belt, Roy. So when he walked over and one of the guys shook his hand, he's like, he looked at him. He goes, you're purple belt, Roy? He goes, yeah. He goes, you're an animal. He goes, well, you know, I try to take care of myself. So, you know, he's not a, he's not a, he's not a like huge, you know, gorilla man. Like he's not like a cyborg, but you know, he's not small at all. Okay, that's Roy's gonna like that. Yeah, he's, uh, yeah, <laughs> he's gonna enjoy like, hearing yeah. that. Like this crazy old old man coming at you. It's I, terrifying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's so funny. He's, it's so funny too because he's he can't wait to like take off his shirt when he's done training. Like he thoroughly like once the young guys start taking off their shirts, he's like, let me show you how it's done, oh. fellas. And he just you know he's right there with him, you know, oh, like living that. his top gun moment. Oh, I'm with him on that completely. Yeah, I like that. He's great. <laughs> that's really good. <laughs> so with um all right so sporting backgrounds well we spoke about this before um other than combat sports wrestling we don't have any wrestling here we might have a bit of judo mm. but other than combat sports what sports would you say translate very well into brazilian jiu-jitsu so we've got ours i wonder what yours so is. i think i i think one sport that translates very well i mean obviously like any of the ground you know combat sports you know, your wrestling, the judo, all that stuff's going to translate. I think a sport that translates very well, and this is going to be surprising. Some people might not call it a sport. Competitive dancing translates <laughs> very, very well. I didn't expect and that. here's why. So, I, yeah, so I have a student. Actually, I have two students. Uh, one of them, she owns her own dance studio, and her daughter trains as well. And the other one was a competitive salsa dancer. And we always make fun of him. We call him Salsa Nick. And I'm like, Salsa, like, I'm like, Nick, you can't, like, you know, you know, two step or Paso Basico your way out of a submission. But to be a successful competitive dancer, the one thing that they have to understand is body movement with your partner. So you have to move in sync. So as your partner turns their hip, you have to turn your hip. Everything's got to follow. And what they both do very well is as you start setting up your frames and you go to bridge, you go to shrimp, you go to mount, they can feel what your body is doing and react to it at a much faster pace because they're already trained on understanding what the body's going to do based on small movements. So it translated very, very well. And he's, he's extremely difficult to roll with. At first I was like, do you have a wrestling background? He goes, no, he goes, but I do like competitive salsa day competitions. So I immediately made fun of him for it, but I knew it was going to be a problem. And, you know, because they have to stay very close to each other's bodies and maintain their lines and maintain this. 
And that translates to jiu-jitsu. You have to maintain your posture. You have to maintain your balance. If you lean forward too much or back too much, you're going to get swept or thrown. So it, it's one of the things that I think nobody ever thinks about, but it translates very, very well. That's amazing. Nice. That's another thing to watch out for, isn't it? Now we've got watch, <laughs> watch out, out for dances. those dance moves. We've already got to watch out for yeah, so Yeah. So if one of those guys comes in with like those like like those dancing heels and that guy's a killer, watch out right now. <laughs> good like, hips. You're never going to get him. You're yeah, good hips. He's yeah. never going to get off of you. No problem. You got some of those dancing heels, right, Jay? Uh, I have got heels. Give yeah. you those extra um, inches that see, you needed. Look, Miguel, I've always wanted to be six foot. I never made it. You're so far from six foot. I'm not that far from six foot. So I uh, I'm five foot ten. That's not bad considering my mum is five foot and my dad was five foot four and a half. I did good. I did really well. You're lucky, man. Yeah, I, I did. You really, did well. I did well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Your, dad's probably, your dad's probably out there looking for your real dad now. He's like, <laughs> <laughs> he's like something, something fishy around here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if I can hear from I stand, I stand above them, so they're tiny. <laughs> so, Miguel, like, obviously, as a, as a young man, you played a lot of football. Um, if you could yeah. have your time now, would you, if you could rewind back, would you take up jiu-jitsu earlier and, and skip the football or do you think that give you a good foundation? Oh, no, I would have never skipped the football. I love it. I, I still joke around and say that once my life settles down a little bit more, uh, I'm going to find a way to coach uh, high school football or middle school football just for fun. Nice. Um, when I, Several years ago, actually, I got to work with the Rutgers University football team, which is a, the New Jersey's like big D1 school. Uh, so it's like it's like a very big college. And I got to work with their uh, their big boys, the O-line and D-linemen. And a couple of their players are now in the NFL. But it, I love using my football background as much as I can. And, I, you know, the thing with football is you really have to be dependent on your teammates. Uh, if one person makes a mistake, it destroys everything. So you have to hold each other accountable. And, you know, you absolutely have to just have blatant disregard for your body to be successful. And I would just throw myself all over the place. So that translates to jujitsu where, you know, if I'm in a bad position, it's like, man, that's probably going to break. Um, we'll figure out how we get out of this. But if I could have done anything, I probably would have done wrestling in high school. I did not wrestle in high school or in middle school. I think if I would have had any type of wrestling background, it would have been beneficial. But, you know, I, I'm glad I found jujitsu when I did. If I could have started sooner, yeah, of course. But, you know, 17 years ago, there really wasn't much going on anywhere to find. So... I think I got into it at a great time uh, for when I could. Uh, but yeah, my, my football experience, I love it. I, you know, I, I say I'm still like that old man. You know, I'm like, uh, you know, we have that Married with Children show, Al Bundy. I'm like, man, if I could just put on my shoulder pads and tell it one more time. I got I got a solid five minutes left in me. I could I could do one more series. Al <laughs> Bundy, what's his name? Ed O'Neill, isn't it? Ed O'Neill, Jiu-Jitsu Black Belt. Yeah, See? Amazing. Football, football, bring, get you right ready. So, do you like a lot of these celebrities doing... Um... Uh, jiu-jitsu so we had a i guess he's more of a uk celebrity i think i don't know how well he translates into america his name's big nasty um i think it sounds familiar yeah so he's a i didn't even know apparently he's a rapper he's a rapper of some sort so he was at a local brazilian jiu-jitsu competition in our town um a couple of weekends ago however we had tom hardy back in september so that was yes that was weird that's right he actually competed against one of our guys (laughs) Hardy's an animal. He's a beast. Yeah, have you ever had, a wild to, you had to train with him? I haven't. I know him and uh, Tom have developed a very close friendship. Yeah. Uh, so I, I haven't trained with him yet, but I'm sure. I'm sure at some point I definitely will. 
But I love these celebrities training. And that's actually the topic of this week's, like the tapping in podcast. That's our whole topic is these celebrities training. And I think it's great for the sport. It always bothers me. The people who go on like Instagram and Reddit and they like trash talk these celebrities who are training jujitsu. And it's like, that's how the sport grows. It grows because celebrities care and people that other people care about caring about something. It's why, you know, the camera always cuts to Jack Nicholson at the Lakers games. You know, it's like where when you see a boxing match, they're showing you all the celebrities because they're showing you like, look at all the people that care about this sport that we're watching this. You should be watching this too. It's important. So, you know, people just love to, you know, just talk trash. It's phenomenal. I like to hate, don't they? But it, it seems to be jujitsu is accessible for everyone. Um, I think that's what it gives. Mark Zuckerberg, we haven't spoken about this, but Mark Zuckerberg competed at the weekend. That's amazing. How, how, fan, how fantastic is that? Yeah. Right. Really, there's really incredible. There's no reason for him to train jujitsu. None at all. He's got nothing to prove. He's got really nothing to gain out of it. He's not going to be an ADCC champion. You know, he's, he's, you know, one of the most powerful, richest men in the world. But why does he do it? Why is he out there? And, you know, one of the things that we've talked about is I really think when you get to that level of fame, notoriety, power, you know, wealth, everyone around you, it, it doesn't seem real, right? You know, you can get whatever you want. You can buy whatever you want. You know, if you want to go spend a million dollars on Lamborghinis, you can go do it. Go buy a Bugatti, go buy an island. You know, no one's going to tell you no. You're surrounded by this, this very like artificial world around you. It doesn't feel real. But when you step on those jujitsu mats, you, once you slap hands and bump, like that person, they're probably more excited to hear Mark Zuckerberg for the wrong reason. So like, <laughs> uh, he's like, this is for that. Like, remember when you remember that 30 day suspension you gave me? Yeah, it's coming back now. So even if they're losing or not doing well, it's this, it's raw and it's real. And I think that's what these celebrities really just want in their life is someone just coming at them and giving it to them for real. And, you know, we talk about this all the time. When you step onto those mats, I know all my students and my teammates, I don't know what they all do for a living. I don't know what their political you know, affiliations are. I don't, and the truth is I don't care. We can talk about it after class, but when you put on that gi or, you know, the no gi training, you're just, you're just training jujitsu. That's all it is. We're just trying to help each other get better on these mats, you know, one way or another. And I think that's why these celebrities are really drawn to it. Uh, it's just, it eliminates all the, all the fluff and gives you a sense of, of reality that they're probably lacking in one way or another. I think that's um, I think that's bang on. It's uh, as you said that there's so much money that they have, but money can't buy your knowledge. It can't buy your skill. It can't buy your fitness. Um, you have to earn that. You have to earn that yeah. with time, and it, it's going to hurt a little bit when you do it. But it also kind of yeah. humbles them. You could buy anything you want, but you you're going to be humbled in jujitsu <laughs> no matter what. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and I think and I think it's the guarantee too of like of understanding that. There's no guarantee you'll get good at this. You can train this for 10 years and never get good. You'll still, you know, you might be better than the guy that's brand new, but you're, you're going to struggle. It's, there's never a day where you're good. You know, someone's always going to be better. Someone's always going to push you. There's always a new technique you have to learn. Someone's going to reinvent something. And you're like, Jesus, you know, the buggy was the big thing. Then there was the double buggy. Like I remember, I remember seeing rubber guard come and then seeing it go and then coming back around again. Like, I, like that's where I'm at in my jiu-jitsu career. I'm seeing trends coming back, you know, like, like jeans from the nineties making a comeback. That's where my jiu-jitsu career is at. I'm like rubber guards back. We're playing this again. I was like, Oh, okay. Let's see how they changed it. 
It's interesting you mentioned jeans from the night. I'm actually very conflicted in what jeans to wear now. I don't know if you've got this problem. <laughs> I've got, I don't know whether no, they're skinny uh, so, jeans. You, I, so I'm, I'm a big fan of the skinny jeans. I will never hide from that. Right now, it, it's summertime over here. And I'll turn 38 next month, 38 years old. And I've noticed the older I get, the shorter my shorts are. Like right now, I'm wearing like five-inch inseams. So you can see, like, my wife is like, you're not leaving a lot to the imagination. And I was like, I don't care. I was like, I'm comfortable. I wish I wish they were four inches. I wish they were shorter. I was like, that's what I want. I'm just, I'm full dad mode at this point. Oh, I'm with you on the short shorts. Oh, man, you've got yeah. such a reputation for short shorts. I have. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's on a school I think pickup. <laughs> school pickup. Yeah, short, short, short. So muscle I'll, vest. <laughs> yeah, our kids go to the same school. In the summer here, and yeah. we, we had a hell of a summer. People can say what they want about the UK, but 40 degrees is serious. Um, we don't have aircon. <laughs> this, is, this is England. Our houses are built to retain <clears> heat. My house is like an oven. I was so delirious on that day. We had 40 degrees. I was outside hosing down my house thinking it would cool down the bricks <laughs> turned it into a steam room. Oh my God. Yeah, no, I, uh, yeah, no, I can't. If it gets too, I don't like being uncomfortable. Okay. Uh, it's so funny because like for jujitsu, I can be uncomfortable yeah. in jujitsu. Put me in the worst positions, I'm there. But in my house or in my regular life, any slight inconvenience, <laughs> not a fan. No, I'm with you. And, uh, do you. Do you have air conditioning in your home? I do, okay. I do. Amazing. Is, is that yeah. built in? Is that a standard thing that's built in? Are you thinking about getting air conditioning? I am actually. <laughs> so, so we can do it a couple ways over here. Like some people, you can do just the air conditioning unit per per room. We have we have central air, so I have a duct system. We have one big thing outside. I set it, and we go. And funny enough, my wife likes to keep it warm, and her her big answer is like, oh, you know, if you're cold, are you are you wearing enough layers to get warm? I don't want to wear, you know, two hoodies and sweatpants and shorts. I just want to set the thermostat to 76 and call it a day. And we're good to go. Fahrenheit, 76 Fahrenheit. Uh, there was one summer where I, I came out the shower and I'm getting dressed. I can't stop sweating. And I'm sweating. I'm sweating. And my wife's like, are you okay? I was like, I'm hot. I was like, I can't stop sweating. And I'm now I'm getting dressed and I'm I'm it's I'm leaking at this point. And I look at my wife. We had just gotten married, and I knew she did something to the thermostat because she likes to keep it high and you know adjust. I look at her. I'm like, what did you do? She's like, nothing. I'm like, what did you do? She's like, I adjusted the thermostat. I had the thermostat set to like 70. She's like, I I adjusted the thermostat the thermostat to 75. I said, look at me. I am a 230 pound man who takes scalding hot showers. How dare you do that? I was like, you're trying to kill me is what you want to do. I was like, you're trying to kill me. I don't know what your ultimate goals or intentions are because life insurance hasn't kicked in yet. So I don't know what you're trying to do. So since then, my wife does not touch the thermostat. We've agreed We've agreed to leave it at 72 degrees Fahrenheit and it's comfortable. Perfect. <laughs> uh, yeah, more houses in this country need aircon. I mean, it's horrible here at the moment. I always do a weekly weather check for people. <laughs> I get distracted. My, my, my garden's out there. And uh, I've got a little forest out the back. Your weekly weather thing has become an actual thing for the podcast. Got, it, maybe it's it? a feature. Um, <laughs> it's about 12 degrees. <laughs> so to, to bring us back quietly. So in terms of the, the school, uh, Miguel, do you have air conditioning at the school? 100%. Okay. So this is interesting to me because I've, I've tried a couple of places where it seems abnormally hot and they don't open the windows. 
Like, I went to this academy once. There's two Brazilian guys coaching, and it's boiling in there. I'm sweating buckets. Oh, Everybody's man. obviously coming after me because I'm I'm the guy that showed up from another club. And uh, I, I thought I was going to die on that, man. Yeah, I think aircon might be, <laughs> might be needed in uh, an academy. Yeah, so let me ask you this. Did you ever go back to visit that school? Yeah, do you know what? I do occasionally, but my brother trains oh, me, you're a wild so I go, and, I go and visit, yeah. I would say, though, I think most academies in this country don't but have aircon. I would go to one that had aircon much quicker. Yeah, so, you know, we have to understand something, especially here, and this is something that, you know, you know, again, like, I, I'm going to constantly say his name, but, you know, Tom, Tom DeBlas always talks to me about, he says, everyone, everyone wants to have this tough school, right? They want all their guys to be so tough, and they want the room at 85 degrees, and then he goes, that's great. You're going to have a really tough school with 30 students, and then you're going to have to close the doors. Because you have to cater to the people that want to train and want to get in shape, but don't want to be in a 100 degree sauna while someone's sweating on them. So you have to cater to your everyday students. Uh, and then now, you know, if you want to have a competition class and raise the thermostat, do that. If you want to have five rounds and then the last five rounds, but I say, guys, we're going to turn off the air conditioning. It's going to get hot in here. If you don't want to do that, start getting out of here now. You can do that. But you have to make it comfortable for students, especially because the lifestyles here in America is just, it, especially in New Jersey, the East Coast, it's so go, 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 go. So to get someone to come in and train jujitsu, most guys after working a 12, 14 hour day, they're not going to want to come in and train if they know it's going to be 100 degrees on top of doing jujitsu, which is already hard. So you have to make it welcoming and inviting and comfortable and then let jujitsu do the heavy lifting. Let let the jujitsu make them uncomfortable. You, know, you don't have to do anything extra to try to kill them. Yeah, see, that's an interesting one. So you touched on something which I wanted to ask you about. So our academy, you know, we're very much, you know, hobbyists. There's no one in the academy that's sort of competing at that professional level. Do you have to balance that at your academy? You've got those people that are obviously trying to do this as a as a career. And how do you balance that with your everyday person who's sort of taking the suit jacket off and then putting the jiu-jitsu gear on so it, it's a tough balance but if you do it the right way it can be done so my competitors especially the ones who are actually trying to pursue this uh they go down to ocean county bjj for uh, tom glasses academy you know once or twice a week to train with those guys and get tom's knowledge and that's something we, we absolutely benefit from and then when they get back to the school you know i'm constantly in communication with tom and he's like you know this is what happened on today you know, this position is giving them a hard time. So then we work on that. And now tell Tommy to watch out for this. But you give them specific attention and you have them work on specific things. And then you let them know like, hey, when you train with Jim and Jim's not a competitor, he just works a nine to five. When you train with Jim, do me a favor. Don't do the things you're good at. I want Jim on your back. I want you mounted. I want you working on these bad things. We're going to get Jim better so that he can start attacking you and get better from these good positions. And you're going to work from bad positions. And then if you want to train with, you know, you know, right now, Max and Manny are my two biggest competitors. You know, if you want to get a tough round, go with Manny and you guys can kill each other. You know, so I'm a big proponent of telling my students, you have to be able to train with everyone. If you're a non-competitor and can't train with competitors, that's a problem. If you're a competitor but can't tone it down to train with non-competitors, that's a problem. If you can't control your jujitsu to either step it up or bring it down, then you don't truly have control. And if you don't have control, then you're lacking knowledge. Control is the ultimate 
form of expressing your knowledge. When you have control, that is a true understanding of what you're doing. That's perfect. Let's mm-hmm. clip that and put it out to a few of the guys we know. <laughs> so that, <laughs> and I wanted to ask you a perspective of this. I know this is a kind of controversial topic, but we're sort of touching on this a little bit. So obviously jujitsu, everybody in jujitsu is talking about this recent lawsuit that happened where um, the gentleman mm-hmm. broke his neck. I'm guessing you know exactly what I'm talking about. So as a as a kind of school owner and as a head instructor, what what was your take on that situation? It's a tough situation, especially because I've actually been in a lawsuit oh, uh, for jujitsu. Oh, yeah, um, so I was involved in one, and I'm interestingly enough, it was the same exact position and it was the same exact move. But in my situation, it was the other person who went for that roll through. And I was controlling his arm and he went for the roll through. And as he went for the roll through, because I was controlling his arm, he just ripped everything out of the socket. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so went to trial and, uh, 12 minute deliberation jury came out, you know, no fault, uh, completely controlled. I was like, like there's, I was literally on my hands and knees. Like I couldn't do anything, <clears throat> but I think as a school owner, you have to take the proper steps to make sure you can protect yourself. Number one insurance. Number two, you have to have a solid waiver. Uh, right now, I actually use a company that only does waivers, and the waiver adds everything, including like you know neglect of the coaches. Like you have to just cover all your bases, because even even an ironclad waiver, a good lawyer is going to find a loophole somewhere. It, it, you know, people think that because you have a waiver, you can't get sued. No, no, no. A waiver will help you in a lawsuit because now you can say they were well aware of what they were getting involved in. You can still sue someone even if they have a waiver. Uh, And then, you know, camera systems. You have to have camera systems, you know, so you can record what's going on in the academy. So there's so many steps that you can take. But at the end of the day, you know, you just got to take care of your partners, you know. And I I tell people, like, don't go for a fancy move because it's going to look cool and you can tell your friends, like, you have to be aware of what you're doing. Now, injuries are going to happen. It's a combat sport. Uh, you know, it, it's unfortunate. And that, that $46 million, man, that is a huge payout, a huge pay. I, I, don't, I don't know where they're going to get that from, to be honest with you. Uh, so, you know, it, it's upsetting. And whenever that comes up, I always get like, you know, in my head, I'm like, that's it. I'm closing the school. I don't want to do this anymore. It's too risky. But, you know, then a week or two passes by and you make adjustments, you know, little things, putting signs in your academy, you know, uh, you know, rules for live training, you know, just so it's like, because those are questions a lawyer will ask in the courtroom. It's like, are there, are there standards for live rolling? Where can you find those standards? Is it printed out somewhere? So anytime they can say yes, 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 it's on the wall. Yes, it's printed out. Yes, it's here. It's all things to protect you for when you get to that ultimate point, ultimate point where it's like, you know, now a jury has to make a decision. Um, you know, from my understanding with the, with that case, uh, the academy didn't have a lot of things in place that would have protected him. It was kind of like that, you know, jujitsu for everyone, you know, people know what they're getting involved in, but all it takes is one. That's all it takes. Yeah. So in terms of your academy, then sounds like you had a lot of things in place already. Did you have to make any adjustments after that case? Because I'm guessing there's a lot of school owners that are now looking at that thinking, I need to put these processes in place. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I had the cameras, I had the waivers, uh, you know, very strict with the instructors. You know, I, I prefer when I have newer students, white belts, 
they only train with the senior students. I almost never put a white belt with the white belt yeah. because that's a recipe for disaster. Uh, as we've already, as I'm sure you've seen in your own academies, uh, you know, and then it's just reinforcing it is the big one. It's constantly reinforcing those rules because, you know, students are just like children. You know, I can tell my, my son to brush his teeth every single night and then he'll be good for a week, but I don't have to tell him. And then slowly but surely he stops doing it. And I got to go back to telling him and back, you know, my wife calls them sugar bugs and she does it real sweet. I'm like, no, you're going to lose your teeth, kid. I'm like, brush your teeth. So, you know, it's constantly just, you know, you can never think that you're done creating the culture at your academy. You constantly have to reinforce, 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 reinforce. Yeah. And part of that culture is taking care of the junior belts. Yeah, that's really your point, isn't it? We had a session where there was maybe four new starters the same day. It's like, right, these guys can't go together. <laughs> just going to get really no. together apart. And sporty yep. types as well. One's from boxing, oh, one's God. from rugby, you know. They're all used to oh. sort of being the alpha male type, I think. Yeah. <laughs> going head oh. to head. <laughs> God damn. Yeah, so they're, they're going to go They're gonna go balls to the wall. They're going 100 miles an hour, not knowing what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, because you just don't know another way when you first start. Everything's, everything's 100 miles an hour. You want to muscle out of everything. I, I remember my very first round. It was against, uh, you know, Steve Bongiorno. He's an owner of Academy here in New Jersey. Ricardo made a black belt. He's also, you know, 120 pounds soaking wet you know he's like 60 65 kilos wow. if that 60 kilos and i remember thinking to myself man i better take it easy on this guy i don't want to put him through a wall and i was like you know because i was you know 240 pounds like fresh out of college playing football i was like i'm gonna hurt this you know this little man my god the beating he put on me was awful and i just remember thinking like what would someone my size do to me and like i was genuinely scared because i had there were all these pictures of ricardo and you know, all the big guys that were training there at that time, you know, Tom was a brown belt. Dante Rivera was a, was a brown belt. Um, Haas Ibrahim was a purple belt. So these guys all went on to become world champions and MMA champions. And I was like, Jesus, if this is what this 120-pound man did to me, what are these animals going to do to me? And it, it scared me and it excited me. I couldn't wait to learn. <laughs> I've said this to Jay before. Like, as a as a big guy going into the gym, it is a shock to the system the first time you do a jiu-jitsu session because you're just not oh, accustomed yeah. to people controlling you in that fashion ever. <laughs> like... yeah. And it's the first time you have to actually move. You know, it's one thing when you're a big guy and you get to put your weight on people. Yeah. But now, like, your weight's working against you. And you're like, oh, I, I can't stand up. I can't stand like I'm used to moving 230 pounds, but now like this extra 20 pounds on me, like I can't move. And you know, they trap your shoulder and you're, you're sitting there and you're like, this is horrible. You know, and it's, it's what great. do you think of the, uh, the big guy versus the little guy? Chris always thinks that the big guys don't get enough. Um, you don't get enough. Cheering. I think people are too mean to the big guys. No one ever roots for the big guy in jujitsu, but it's hard to learn good jujitsu as a big guy. I think it, it really is because you, you really, especially if you've been a big guy for a long time, you have to get away from being the big guy. And you're almost trying to rewire the way your thought process has always been, which is smash, smash, smash. And now all of a sudden someone's like, no, 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 don't use any of your strength. Don't use any of your strength. Just use technique. And then, you know, what I'll do with my big guys is I'll put them with, you know, very small people. I'll put them. I have a blue belt uh, female right now, Felicia, not a big girl. My God, if you think you're going to have an easy round with her, you are sadly mistaken. She isn't a terror, just an absolute terror. And I've seen so many like like boys from the age of like 20, 25, like practically leaving tears because she just completely manhandled them. Oh, that's amazing, isn't it? That's really cool. Love that. Yeah, I, I've, um, my daughter's six. 
I've got, uh, well, she's seven. I've got a seven-year-old and a five-year-old. I really want to get them into jiu-jitsu, but I haven't, you know, Oscar is my youngest. He's a little too young to train at our academy. So I think when <clears> he's old enough, I'm going to try and get them both to train. Do, do your kids train? Awesome. They do. I've seen them with the rash guards on on they your do. Instagram, but I didn't know if they actually get on the mat regularly every week. No, they no they do it. Uh, my daughter is just absolute fire. You know, like I'll put my hand up and I'll be like, I'll, I'll tell, but I'll be like, give me the one, two. So she'll throw a one, two and always ends it with the back kick. And she like turns her foot and pivots. She hits the pads with some of the coaches. She loves it. My son uh, is a typical boy where sometimes I look at him and I'm like, there, there has to be something wrong with him. Like he's not well. And no, he's just a boy who's, you know, you know, licking the window and counting daisies. And then he goes live and he's snatching singles and trying to choke kids necks off. And I'm like, where, where was that? He won't listen to anything I say ever. But as soon as coach Matt starts coaching, he's spot on. So I just kind of sit in the office and ignore it. But the best part is, you know, they come home and they start wrestling each other. And my wife is probably like, like I might be the head ref for ADCC America, but I guarantee if my wife wanted to, she could become a, a legitimate ADCC ref because she does it at home all the time. She's telling my daughter, you can't grab him there. You can't knee him to the head. She moves the table out of the way. And it's funny because like when they get upset with each other, my son and my daughter, they'll look at each other and my daughter would just lean in. She'd be like, slap hands. And like, she's being like, let's go right now. She's like, slap hands. And and they do. And I coach them through it. And it and it's it's wild. My mom thinks we're crazy, but I tell them, like, listen, this is a house of violence. All right. This is how we pay the bills around here. Oh, it's amazing. See, yeah, I, I identify with crazy. that. Yeah, I identify with that because I grew up house with three brothers. So we were just like wrestling all the time. Like it would cause. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You never had good furniture in your house ever. <laughs> no. not, with, not with that many boys. Everything's a mess. That's true. <laughs> absolute garbage even as grown-ups you know you get together for christmas and this was um i remember back when i was new to jiu-jitsu you get together for christmas and all of a sudden you know you've sat on the sofa someone's jumping on you you're wrestling like you know but luckily yep. I, i'm the yeah, only one me. that started training yeah you got me chris <laughs> yeah. you can throw me around mate <laughs> I try. I try my best, mate. <laughs> Do you have any uh, British guys in, in your academy or pass through? I don't. I don't. I wish I did. Oh, I had a, I had a question. A big fan, because, um, big we had, fan of the Brits. Oh, perfect. That's good then, isn't it? <laughs> we had a guy. He went over to South Africa to do some training. And they oh, say nice. they do... Oh, what was the name? Quan Vessels, I think the academy name is. Um, I'm probably mm-hmm. butchering this pronunciation. Um, but it's not pronounced how it's spelled. Okay, so I'm, I'll try my best. Quan Vessels, shout out if that's right. Um, but, <laughs> but he said, they said to him, "You're doing more Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and we're doing more American jiu-jitsu." So he found they had a much heavier leg lock game, whereas he found it easier to pass guards and smash the top. Now I don't know if you've come across this at all between different styles of jiu-jitsu, whether it's European um, or American or Brazilian. Yeah, so. This is, this is something I talk about a lot uh, with my students. And anytime there's like a Mundials or a big event, I always sit down with my coaches and I'm like, you know, what did you notice at this event? What did you notice? And one of my coaches, Coach Justin, he's a brown belt. This guy's phenomenal. Uh, 
like when I actually, when he teaches in my head, I'm like, I don't even know why I'm here. He just breaks down the techniques so well and so meticulous. And he's going to eventually have a school one day and he's going to do incredibly well. And I wouldn't be shocked if, you know, 10 years from now, we're talking about him and a group of world champions that he's created. I truly, truly believe that. Uh, but I really preach the importance of sweeping and getting on top. And Tom does the same thing because it's almost becoming a lost art form where now this new generation is, you know, why well, ignore 50% of the human body, right? But now you're ignoring the other 50%. They're not going for Kimuras or chokes. They're just all going for 50-50 or backside 50-50 and trying to attack these legs. No one's sweeping. No one's looking to get on top. No one's passing the guard. They're all just sitting back. So you're really starting to see this change of the sport and what's going on. And I, I really think what we're going to see, you know, right now it's like, you know, you know, American jiu-jitsu, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. It, it's jiu-jitsu, man. It's just everyone does something a little bit different. You know, you know, you can make a cheesesteak here in America or pizza, right? You can go to five different pizzerias, even though it's the same exact food, it's the same exact pizza, it's cheese, sauce, and bread. It's going to be completely different at each one. Like, you're going to be like, this one's really good. This one's really awful. It's just little details that change. So, you know, we have the wrestle jitsu now, a lot of wrestling getting incorporated. I truly believe we're going to see a return of the basics and fundamentals where you're going to see guys, because now everyone's doing leg locks, which means everyone's defending leg locks. Who can start mastering sweeps and getting on top next? And that's going to be the next wave. And you're going to see that. Even if you watch Gordon matches, he's finishing with rear naked chokes now yeah. because everyone knows he's going to go for legs and he uses it to get on top, pass the guard, take your back, and finish. Yeah. That's a great answer, actually, isn't it? I, that's very much your game, actually, isn't it? You, you like a sweep? That's because the first academy I trained in, they wouldn't train you leg locks. <laughs> so, I, you know, they just didn't do them. Yeah. You like to sweep me and then try to crush me down. Well, yeah. We keep trying to smother tap each other at the moment. It's really hard to smother tap this guy here. <laughs> That's become a thing. Yeah, yeah, we had a visitor and he was showing everybody the mother's milk. I don't know if you've heard of this. I have. <laughs> <Yeah>. I have. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I was going to say, I don't it's know if this is a legitimate name for it. but yeah. is it, is it a It's demoralizing to get to. I believe that's what I've, I've heard it called that. But, you know, it's... I love those submissions where you're just demoralizing the person emotionally. I actually, to one of my students, I got them, I got him to tap by tickling him. I, uh, I went like crucifix and I triangle with his arm and I brought his other arm this way. And then he had his armpit exposed. And he actually, he trains with uh, JT Torres now. He moved. So, he's over there at Central. so I, so I had to do this before he left. It was like one of his last days. And I just started tickling him. He's screaming and fighting and squirming. And I'm just like, laugh. Laugh, little boy. Laugh, little boy. I treat him like a child. And he was so angry and upset. And everyone else is just watching. He's like, I would have, it would have made me happier if he just punched me in the face. I was like, I know it would have. I was like, but I really just, I really caused trauma right now by just tickling you as a grown man and forcing you to submit because you were laughing so hard. I was like, I win. Just know that. Would that work at a comp, genuinely? Could I do that to someone at a comp, just tickle them? Well, honestly, why not? Like, uh, I mean, why not? If I could, I don't know. What, it's like, uh, wash your fingers. I've never I, seen anybody try to do that. Miguel, am I, I think you should. I think you should, just so that at the, at the next ADCC rules meeting, I can say, guys, no tickling. Tickling is not allowed <laughs> in this tournament. So, like, that'll be your contribution to the sport. It's like, you know why you can't tickle in tournaments? Hey, you, I'll tell you what, I'm going to try it tomorrow. Open that. 
Oh, I'm call it Benita's fingers or something. You need to correct. Yeah, try it. <laughs> try it. Try something with me. You mean, I'll tell you right now. If you can get someone to open up like this, they're so busy defending the head and arm choke, and just get right under there. Oh, they're gonna squirm and move, and it's you're gonna get a fight. You. I imagine that'd be great for a, for a back. Trial, oh, wouldn't they, it? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, I've seen people defend techniques for years, but that tickle, I've never seen people defend that hard. They are fighting for their lives to get out of there. And it's fantastic because they can't breathe at the same time. <laughs> That's great. We'll try it tomorrow. They that. start grunting. They're like, <laughs> like look at me. Like, they're like a four-year-old. He's like, how does your family deal with marks on the face? So Chris had a nickname at one point. His name's Chris Datch, Datchler. And he was called the Datch Mark. So everyone's got a nicknames. Which I did not deserve, by the way. You, mm. So, getting, you know, the old, your face folds like a Sharpay, doesn't it? Yeah. You get those creases and marks in your face. Obviously, ears go and black eyes and other bits. How do your guys deal with this? Because we've got one guy in our academy. He hates getting his face marked up for his job. He can't stand it. He gets in a lot of trouble from his wife. And he thinks he gets in a lot of trouble from work. Yeah, I mean, so, uh, you know, pretty much I tell everyone, you know, if there's certain positions you don't want or certain things you don't want, you know, talk to your partner and let them know, like, hey, you know, watch out for my shoulder, watch out for my leg. And the face is one, you know, with, with the township that my school is in, a lot of the people that live in my town, you know, they're, they're businessmen or business people, a lot of attorneys, doctors, you know, you can't go to court with a black eye. So they're very aware of this and they'll tell my other teammates, like, hey, listen, you know, if you're going to cross face me, can you like, you know, reverse cross face me, try to drive your shoulder that I have to go to court tomorrow. I have meetings tomorrow. I have surgery tomorrow. So we do a really good job of taking care of each other. But I tell them, don't. And this is one thing in jujitsu is, you know, it gets frowned upon for the longest time. This old school mentality of if you tell someone like, don't do this, don't do this. Like, ah, you know, you're a coward. You're weak. You know, you're being a little bit of a, of a puss. But it's like, no, like you're allowed to some, tell someone like, hey, don't, I don't want to do that today. But here's my one rule. If I tell you not to do something on me, I'm also taking it off the table for myself. Okay. Like don't tell someone, hey, my knee hurts. Don't leg lock me. But then you sit to Ashi. It's like, that's not fair. <laughs> it's like, I have no choice now where I'm like, hey, you know, don't cross face me too hard. I have to go to court tomorrow. But then there I am just driving my shoulder into your face. And it's like, what are you doing? What are you doing, guy? Like, let's, let's keep this fair. Okay, yeah, that's that's quite good, isn't it? I mean, marks are again. I don't care so much for my job. My wife hates it. My wife absolutely despises it. So, Jayla, we're going somewhere this weekend. Do not get marked up on your face. We have a roll, don't we? <laughs> and uh, my face is crushed. Oh man, yeah. No, I I got lucky in that sense. I, my wife and I met when I was still a blue belt, so she kind of just understands, uh, you know, the life. Uh, true story. One of our one of our first dates, I think we had been together about a month or so. I took my wife to a, a tournament that I was coaching at and I had teams and I had this one team who was making his, his first tournament ever. His name was Gordon Ryan. And in between matches, I, I tell him like, Hey Gordon, I'm like, if you, if you can lock the, the body triangle from behind, like the body lock, I was like, I want you to bridge them over, put them belly down. I want you to hip in. I was like, if this kid's tough, he'll fight but he'll give you the choke. I was like, if he's not, he'll, he'll think his spine broke and he'll tap. And here's my girlfriend of a month listening to me say this to like some 14 year old boy. And Gordon went out there and executed it. And I'm not making this up. 
when he let go and got off the kid, the kid stayed on his belly and started to like tremble. So I thought Gordon paralyzed the kid. And I'm like, I'm going to jail. Everybody here told, heard me tell this 14 year old child to go crush this kid's spine. So when the kid finally stood up, I was like, thank God. And then Gordon's like, I did it. I tried to, I tried to paralyze him. And I was like, oh my God, please don't ever do that again. So then here's this, you know, this sweet, wholesome woman realizing very quickly that I, I kind of have a very different hobby from any guy she's probably ever dated before. Yeah. So now when everything's like busted up or like, I'll look at her I'll be like, is my face all right? She's like, mm, no, it's a little here. Or she'll tell me your ears are a little puffy or what happened to your face. Or She points it out before I notice it. And then, you know, okay. she gets the elite. It's the ice and she takes care of me. Oh, that's quite good, isn't it? So here's a question for you. Solid team member, solid teammate. <laughs> that's really good. That's good. I didn't get any sympathy at home. No, no. <laughs> For a bright on myself. Do you think it's a British thing? Do, do you think the Brits give less sympathy? Is that that kind of British stiff upper lip? It's like crack on. Yeah, don't I think so. Like, go on, mate. Just don't I mean, she. That. I mean, she gives me the ice, but then she goes, you know, you're so, you still got to do the dishes tonight. Like, the garbage <laughs> still has to go out. I'll give you 10 minutes, but you've got duties to do. I'm like, yeah, yeah I got you. Dude. Yeah, she's just yeah. keeping you in the game. That's what it is. <laughs> That's just That's all it is. She, yeah, yeah. She's keeping me healthy for another round. That's all. She's just keeping me fresh. <laughs> so I've got to ask you about this. So uh, Gordon, obviously massive personality. Yes. In real life, same personality or slightly different? I think it's the same personality, but it's definitely a lot more magnified. I don't think he's faking what he is, but he's definitely giving you a much bigger version of him, right? So, like, everything he is, like, that's already in him. I remember when he was, you know, 15 or 16 years old, uh, I, had, I had fractured my tibia, and I couldn't train for about, I think it was, like, almost six months. And Gordon was training every day. The, the kid's been truly dedicated. He's had a goal since he was 14 years old. And seeing it come to fruition and seeing him actually do it is probably one of the most incredible things I've ever experienced in my life. Seeing this 14-year-old kid going from training from a small school in East Brunswick to becoming the greatest of all time. So first role, he's like, let's go. And I was like, all right, Gordon, haven't trained in six months. Let's see how this goes. And I triangle choked him in about 45 seconds. And that's true. I've, I've submitted Gordon Ryan more than probably anyone in this world. Ah, maybe maybe Gary. Gary's probably got him a lot. But he stands up and I, we're all, we're busting his balls. I'm like, that's what you did after six months? I'm like, you were better before I got hurt. What are you doing? And we're all just making fun of him. And I remember he stands up and he goes, okay, get it in now. Because once I'm good, you're all fucked. <laughs> and we laughed. And we laugh because he meant it. He truly believed it. He's always had that sense of belief that he was going to be the greatest thing ever. And he's had a little bit of that cockiness and that arrogance. But here's what most people don't realize. Everyone that competes at that level is arrogant and cocky. Otherwise, you can't get to that level. You know, going to an MMA room. You know, I've been in an MMA room. I was, I was training with Ricardo's MMA team when Frankie was the champ. When, you know... Uh, you know, when Amal Easton was bringing his guys, you know, like Brendan Schaub and all those guys, you know, they're all alpha males. They have to have that belief system where it's like, no one's going to touch me. Otherwise, guess what happens? You're going to get knocked out. You're going to get hurt. So, you know, I, I don't think he's putting on a show. I think it's definitely part of him. I don't think that's the only thing of him. What people don't see and they don't give any credit for takes pictures with every single fan, uh, you know, just never went complete Hollywood. This is a true story. Uh, during the pandemic, I was supposed to have Tom come teach a seminar at my school. And he had caught wind 
that the state health inspector was going to stop by at his school. So he's like, hey, I, I can't get to your school tomorrow. And I was like, don't worry about it. Stay at your school. Do what you got to do. Like, we got to keep each other open. But I was going to do health promotions. So I reach out to ADCC champion Gordon Ryan. And I'm like, hey, I need a huge favor. He's like, what's up? I was like, I need you to come teach a class in my school tomorrow. Free. No, no pay. Like, I need you to teach this to my students for free. This is Gordon had just won. Uh, it was right after his first ADCC. So he was already an ADCC gold medalist. Actually, it was after 2019. So he's already won a couple gold medals. You know, he's already, you know, he's already getting set up for the match against Galvao. He's already becoming a superstar, charging $200 a person for his seminars. He's like, when do you need me there? I was like, I need you here tomorrow night. <laughs> he was like, under one condition, you have to train with me tomorrow morning. I was like, deal. So he came in, we trained all morning. Uh, we hung out for a little bit and then he came back that night and he taught a free class in my academy. And you know, I bring that up, not because it's like, oh, I can get Gordon right at my school, but it's like he never forgot the people that were there for him from the beginning. And, you know, I, I still talk to him all the time. Yeah. You know? I, I ended up I ended up buying a pickup truck because of him. Oh, you know, wow. We were just talking back and forth. He's like, you got to get a truck. You got to get this one. Get this one. So, you know, any time I have a question, I'm talking about that. So, you know, I send him picture of like, you know, I just bought a new house with my wife and I'll send him pictures of like what I did to the garden or, you know, power washing. He's like, that looks great. You should do this. You should do I'm like, send me a picture of your fire pit so I can build it myself. And, uh, you know, he's, he's someone I consider a friend and someone that I'm very close to. And, you know, I tell him all the time, you know, he could lose everything tomorrow. It's not going to change my opinion of him. You know, he's someone who, you know, when he loves you, he loves you. When he doesn't though, yeah. God bless your soul. <laughs> so Gordon's someone that's obviously been at the top of the sport now for a while. Do you see mm -hmm. anyone getting close to, because his matches have kind of not been that competitive, right? I've, there's not been that many really competitive ones. But obviously now mm -hmm. you have someone like Merigali training Nogi with Danaher. Do you ever see a situation where that becomes a close rivalry or, or not? It could. Um, it very well could. Uh, what I foresee, uh, if it starts becoming more competitive for Gordon, it's very similar to what happened with John Jones, uh, where he was just running through everyone where, you know, were the matches close because they were close or were they close because he just wasn't excited and didn't give the same effort for it because he's head and shoulders above everyone else. And we saw what he did at ADCC, this most recent showing, he ran through everyone. Uh, you know, so it, it will, we'll see where it goes. You know, where's the hunger? You know, does he still have that drive? Does he still have it? You know, he's got a lot of things coming up, you know, where his career is going to expand and he's going to transcend the sport. Uh, I, I do think by the time he leaves the sport, though, there will be somebody else ready to step up. And, you know, I think whether it's, you know, Giancarlo Bodoni or a Marigali, like Marigali's got what it takes, you know, and not just on the mats. Like, let's be honest, if you want to be a superstar, you can't just be a superstar on the mats. He's, you know, tall, he's good looking, he's got a great physique, he's got a personality. You need to have all those attributes to be a superstar. And Gordon, I think, was the first jujitsu superstar, the first actual superstar we've ever had. And now all these young competitors coming up, they have a blueprint they can follow. So I think we're going to continue to see it evolve and continue to grow. Um, and as for Gordon, man, I think these matches are going to be as competitive as he wants them to be. Yeah, that's amazing. We, we um, speculated it might be an age thing, but by the time someone maybe gets the better of him quite convincingly, is it because he's now aged to a certain point? And 
would that be called into question? So this is something that he talks about uh, a lot. And, and you have to understand, his game is not based on athleticism or explosive movements at all. He says that himself, his game is based on the negation of athleticism and explosive movements, where now you can't use your strength or your speed or anything. He takes it away. When you have a game like that, you can do it for a very long time uh, because you're not overusing your body. You know, can you maintain the strength? You know, there's a lot of great supplements out there that help you stay strong. So, you know, we'll see. You know, uh, ADCC has a great uh, honor system. So, you know, I'm a, <laughs> so, you know, I, you know, I, you know, we'll see where it goes. But, you know, I really think he can take this as far as he wants for as long as he wants. Yeah, that's really interesting, isn't it? That's really interesting. So I had another question for you, uh, Miguel. So when you're when you're coaching your head instructor and you've obviously got these students that are coming through how do you as a coach manage that sort of mindset that you maybe have as a competitor where you're obviously wanting to sort of be the best that you can be in the room and then obviously you're you're getting these people that are then going to presumably start to challenge you on the mat do you ever experience that how do you sort of navigate that i think if you're a competitor and it's, it's so funny you're asking these questions because I literally just talked about these things the other day with Tom. The most important thing for a competitor is you have to have heart. You have to have that that thing inside you where, you know, you've got to be on the mat. You're constantly training. Like a bad round should bother you. Like it should bother you that someone passed your guard. It should bother you that you almost got submitted. Those are the things that have to bother you to be successful. Uh, so it, do you want people to catch up to you? Yeah, you got to get pushed. If you're the best guy at your gym and no one's pushing you, you have to go find a new gym. If you want to be the best, you can, you have to go find a place where you're getting pushed. Uh, so I, I think it's a balance, but I think as an instructor, you have to also know how to create those situations for someone. Like telling someone like, hey, like you're really good in this position. Go with so-and-so and have your back taken. Today, you're only working your back taken. Today, you know, I've had students who compete where I'm like, today, all you're doing is you're going to do five-minute rounds of armbar escapes. And that's all you're doing today. And, you know, at first, you're like, this is going to be boring. But guess what? That arm's going to get sore. That arm's going to get tired. And it's not a position that you might see in every single round. But now you just did an hour of it tonight. You did it 100 times tonight. Whereas most people might only have to defend an armbar, you know, 100 times in the next, like, four years. Wow. Yeah, that's really good, isn't it? So Did that resonate with you? Because I know you like to get armbar. Time. I hate it. <laughs> I, uh, Chris loves an armbar. Uh, if I've got a new defense, Chris has a new counter, and it, it just keeps going. It's our thing, you know. I try and armbar him. You know, you yeah. try and necktie me away. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. That's that's what, that's the best part about jujitsu, though, right? So like, you get the armbar, and you're like, okay, you got me today, and then you come back tomorrow, and you have a defense. And then he goes home and he goes on YouTube. He's like, yeah, I know how to stop that defense. And it never ends. And then what happens is you're doing that together playfully. But now when you have to do it in a real situation, you've actually prepared yourself for every possible outcome. Yeah. And you did it in a playful manner. You developed it without realizing you were developing it. Yeah. It's so strange because calling back to different sizes as well, rolling with different people at different sizes, everyone has their own dramas, their own problems. Like rolling with people, he's, a, he's obviously a big guy but you can have just as big of problems from, from smaller guys as well, but a slightly different. I rather, I rather train with a big guy than a small guy any day, any day. I absolutely hate training with the little guys. They're annoying. They move around too much. <laughs> they invert. 
They go for things I don't want them to grab. And then the problem with little guys, I have one of my students right now, Coach Max, he's so small that when I put him in a, like a head and arm choke, he just squeezes his shoulder together and gets out because I'm so big that I give him naturally too much room. I can't squeeze tight enough because there's nothing there for me to squeeze. <laughs> big guy, I'll squeeze the neck and choke in because there's so much mass. Wow. So give me a big, give me a big monster any single day. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> that's really interesting. <laughs> well, what about if you any can? day? And they they move too much, man. I can't. I can't keep inverting. I can't. I'm 38 years old. I'm not trying to run around like a madman. I'd rather be smothered for five minutes than have someone who's going to make me go, 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 go for five minutes. <laughs> really? Is it? Is it the cardio thing? Just keep keep, keep moving. Uh, well, yeah, because I'm going to try to move around like I'm still 24, but then I'm going to learn very quickly. Oh, I'm not. And then, and my wife's not going to want to hear tomorrow when the kids want to play like, Hey, you know, why can't daddy run? She's not going to be like, Oh, cause he was playing with coach Max. I said, you better get your ass out there and run with these kids. <laughs> so conveniently, uh, being a strength and conditioning coach, do you have coaches at your gym that go through strength and conditioning or give, uh, advice in terms of fitness specifically for jujitsu? Yeah. So we actually have strength and conditioning coaches at my school to train. So they're always helping out the guys, you know, if someone's got to get bigger, someone's got to get more loose. And they really help me a lot as well, because I have like a, a weight system at my school. I got the PRX, I got free weights, I got a rogue bike. So for me, it's more maintenance. So I'm not really lifting a lot of weights, yeah. but I'm doing a lot of the band work. I'm doing a lot of the stretching, stuff like that. Ironically, I just started seeing a chiropractor because my neck was hurting. And, you know, she told me, you know, do you spend a lot of time with your neck down and like your shoulders? She's like, you know, everyone does it now because they're always texting. I was like, yeah, but it's, it's not from what you think. I was like, you know, I do jujitsu. And one of the things that I do well is I can ball myself up real small. So for the last 17 years, I've been bringing my shoulders together and tucking my chin and making my guard very unpassable. But by doing so, I need to start now like opening it yeah. back up. Because after 15 years, my body's just started like closing on itself. Yeah, this is a big problem. We spend a lot of time in a kyphotic position, as you said, where we're really balled up. So I was with my physio mm -hmm. a few weeks ago and I inverted in front of her. So I was talking to her through my bum and legs. It's like, look, this is what you're working with. I'm in this position a lot. So I need yeah. to be put out of this position and it's putting strain through the lower back quite a lot as well when you're getting crushed down. So uh, uh, yeah, I, I like to work on the conditioning side. Obviously I like the cardio side of things. Being a smaller guy, you go to your cardio um, and I'd recommend everyone does cardio personally. It, it, it's not just good for jujitsu, but in everyday life, good cardiovascular health yeah it's i completely agree and i uh you know i hired a nutritionist a year ago just to make some adjustments and the first thing he told me he goes you know i don't want you to use jujitsu as your cardio he's like you've been doing it so long that your body now knows how to respond to it he's like do something it doesn't always do so that's why i'll get on the bike twice a week nice. and you know even though it's nothing too wild i just get on the road bike and i push it and very quickly i'm like oh i'm i'm tired my body's feeling this because I, I can do jujitsu for 30 minutes and find a way to not get tired. You know, it, it's tough to push yourself. Um, if you're on that bike, there's no way around it. You just got to pump your arms and pump your legs and eventually you're going to gas. Yeah, that bike is pure cardio. There's, it's great because there's no skill yeah. required for the bike. You just got to go. So you don't have to master yeah. it. I thought you were going to say pure evil. And I was like, yes, 100% agree. I oh, hate that yeah. thing. Yeah, a lot of my clients call it the devil bike. Just, yeah, if you guys are thrown up yeah. on it. <laughs> it's not oh, it's so brutal. It's so brutal. But I love it at the same time. Yeah. So it was obviously used quite a bit in CrossFit. And I personally believe um, the modality training of CrossFit, the power elements of the lifts, the Olympic lifts, uh, muscle up, toes to bar, are actually quite a nice translation for explosive. 
uh, strength, the explosive power into jujitsu. I don't know if uh, a lot of your guys tend to train that kind of modality of training. Yes, we have some guys that do CrossFit. We have we have power lifters too. We have such a wide array of people that train different styles and find a way to implement it. And the one thing that I love is that they'll reach out to each other and see if there's something else that they can do. And you know, then they use it to network and do what they have to do. Like I have you know students who are really really big in yoga, and they're like you know try these stretches. This is going to help you with this. Going to help you with that. And everyone just really benefits each other. I, I really worked hard on creating a family type atmosphere at the academy uh where everyone's just comfortable talking to each other and picking each other's brains and and, and they're they're more than willing to help each other out and give their little uh their little tidbits of advice for free nice that's really good isn't it i, I like the idea of the family so um i'm former military and i find the jiu-jitsu brotherhood um very similar to that because you do trust yeah. each other with your safety and your health and i feel there's a real big camaraderie there i didn't really have outside of the military but yeah, it definitely exists within jiu-jitsu. Yeah, and it's, and it's huge. And that's something that Roy said on the podcast. He said, you know, he remembers his 40th birthday. Uh, you know, his wife threw him a surprise birthday party. And then when he's looking around, you know, it was like three friends. And then it was all her friends or relatives. And he's like, don't I have friends? Like, he's like, I don't, I don't have friends. And then fast forward, you know, 17, 17, 18 years, he's having his 40th wedding anniversary was his 45th 35th wedding anniversary with his wife and he's got like 40 jiu-jitsu people there and they range from 18 years old all the way to like 55 and now his his family members his brothers who are his age are like how do you know all these people he's like jiu-jitsu he's like i got all these friends from jiu-jitsu yeah it's and it's a genuine it's a genuine love like it's a genuine care that you get for your teammates it's a thing isn't it it really is and i've trained in in sicily i went to sicily last year those guys out there are amazing that they that they're fucking mental drivers mate um but yeah. you know, they put me on the back of his moped or his motorbike drive me to a, get an espresso and a granita but then training afterwards <laughs> and it's like, but it's amazing yeah it's amazing right but, but they even taught the class in english for me and translate wow. it to italian for the other guys afterwards that's uh, fantastic. Wow, these guys are just uh, incredible. Hottest place I've ever trained in as well. It was uh it was bad. <laughs> That's great. It's it's my wife is she'll tell everyone, she's like, you know, my wife danced in college, she was on her college dance team and she's been a part of teams and athletic teams, and she tells any wife, any girlfriend who's like boyfriend starts training or husband starts training, she's like, I'm telling you right now, you will never find a group of people like the jiu-jitsu community she's like it is absurd how close these people become in such a short amount of time she's like within six months you'll know more about that person than you know about a friend that you've had for 20 years she's like it's it's actually pretty amazing uh so like all the all the wives like really love my wife because whenever they want to complain about their husband's training too much they like look at her and they're like we don't know how she's doing it because this man's got this guy's all over the place and she's at home with these two wild animals who are like slap hands let's go (laughs) Uh, yeah, your wife so, set the standard. <laughs> set standard. She's incredible. I I don't know how she does it. I tell everyone, you know, people like, you know, how do you do it? How do you do it? I'll tell you right now. The, the first thing that I need in order to be able to do it is, you know, Stephanie Benitez. I have my wife. If I don't have her, you know, a lot of it's not being done the way it should be done. I'm not doing the things that I want to do because she allows me and enables me to do it and takes on extra responsibility on her end. That's really how I can do it. Yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, that's that really is incredible. Awesome. Yeah. 
And Miguel, we don't want to take up too much of your time. I know you've got a busy day. And, you know, we really appreciate you coming on. It, it meant a lot. We were super nervous, mate. We were, we were super Oh, nervous. no, wait a minute. Yeah. I'm so glad you guys had me. Thank you for having me. We were. This uh, was a blast. You guys are great. We saw each other on the school run. I'm like, you excited? I was like, yeah, but I think I'm more nervous. <laughs> <laughs> no, nothing to be nervous about. I'm just a guy. I'm just a guy that got beat up by Tom the Blast for a long time. <laughs> yeah, he's also, he, he seems terrifying to me. Yeah, something about his uh, persona is he, he, he always comes across really well. Always comes across like really well in everything you see. But he also just, he's intimidating even over the camera. <laughs> like when you see. Yeah, he's, he's so, he's just so intense. You know, it's just, he's passionate, yeah. you know, and that passion just comes off very like, you know, but he's just, he's such a teddy bear. He's such a teddy bear, that guy. Okay. I love him. Try to remember that if we ever come across it. What does he say about your um, impressions? Does he listen to your podcast or not? He doesn't. He doesn't listen to any podcast. So you could say He listens to like audiobooks. <laughs> well, it's funny. When he did my, when he did the podcast, uh, it was right after East Coast Trials and we're sitting at it. We all went out to dinner and a couple of his students were like, oh, my God, we love when you do Tom's impression. We love when you do Tom's voice. So they start it. making the noises. They're like, uh, uh, uh. and then he looks at me and goes, that's how I talk. That's how I talk. And I was like, yeah, that's how you talk. He goes, you know what? I'm going to do your little podcast. I'm going to show people that's not how I talk. I'm like, sure. Come on in. I was like, absolutely. So he came on just to like show people like that's not how I talk. And then, you know, that's exactly how he did talk. So but now he came on. He's. He's always extremely supportive. Always extremely, he like you know, he's trying to get on it. You know, he loves it. He does whatever he can. He really tries to just, you know, it, Tom's one of those guys where he reaches this level, and he's constantly reaching down to pull people up to meet him at that level. Awesome. You know, he sees what you're capable of, and he wants you to get there. And you know, he doesn't want to be alone at the top. So it's incredible. You know, a lot of things that I have right now is because I had, you know, number one, having Tom's name as a black belt. Tom the best black belt carries weight. Uh, it definitely benefited my business, my school. And, you know, you guys even said it today. You're like, you know, the fact that you came up under Tom, I would figure that as a referee, you know your rules a little bit more. And that definitely carried weight and had an impact on not just me refing, but the way I refed, the way I did things. And then them realizing, like, he's also under Tom, so he knows what he's doing. And the standard's very, very high. Um, helped me get to where I'm at. So, you know, always remember the people that helped get you there. And, uh, you know, Tom's definitely helped me get to a lot of highs in my life. And I don't think we're done just yet. So, Oh, that's amazing. Um, we can't guarantee this podcast will get you to some more highs, but we can guarantee we'll reach out to some locals around our town. <laughs> I love it. All right, listen, if I get one person from the UK to start following me on Instagram, I'll be happy. I'm oh, like, worth it. Okay. We'll, okay so this, we'll work on it. Yeah, we'll work on it. We'll, like, you follow them now. We'll, we'll force them tomorrow. We'll force them their hand tomorrow. You can see on your uh, your stats your, where your listeners are coming from. Hopefully, I hope you've got a few UK listeners. You must have because you're us and a few others. I do. I have a couple. Believe it or not, when we did the... Uh, where everyone's being listened to. I showed it to Roy. We're being listened to in like 27 countries. It's wow. actually insane. That's why I'm like, who's listening? Yeah. I'm like, who's listening to us in Germany? But someone is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We found the same. I told Roy. come up in the Maldives and we we're like, he can possibly be listening to us. Oh, in I the figured Maldives. that out. Oh, did you? Yeah. One of our You're going to ruin it for me. Yeah. He went on holiday <laughs> to the Maldives and tuned in. So. It counts. Yeah, it counts. It was yeah. just yeah, it's like it's like getting a tap to a wrist lock it's like you tapped right it counts <laughs> so guys um, everyone listening you got to follow Miguel um, listen to his first episode especially on his podcast that will suck you in you said you're a great storyteller and you really are the way you told that story, oh thank you um, it, it, it engrossed me completely it was perfect you know it, it's so good to hear your background where you come from 
So guys, tapping in, you can follow them on all the major podcast platforms. All of them. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, the Anchor platform. I think there's a couple other ones that you know people don't use, but they're on there they're as on well. There. So you, you've got no excuses not to listen. <laughs> or, or don't out. look for Roy. Roy's still not on Instagram, right? <laughs> no, Roy's not. No, and he can't be. So we had a group chat for the school for the students and I had to kick Roy out because I had one for like all the students and one for like, just like, you know, the select few where they could get a little bit more, you know, colorful. And I had to kick Roy out because he's so old. He couldn't differentiate between which one was which. And he was just sending memes that I was like, We're, the school's going to get shut down. Roy. Like you can't send these memes to the wrong group chat. And he goes, Oh geez, I get them mixed up. I was like, I was like put your glasses on Roy. Like, figure this out, buddy. What's going on? Oh, I really like this out of terrifying Roy. Oh, it's amazing. But yeah, and then, you know, follow your school on Instagram. Um, where can they find you on Instagram? Yeah, so on Instagram, it's a uh, prof, P-R-O-F underscore Miguel BJJ, and then Montgomery underscore BJJ. But if you follow one, you can follow all of them because they, they, they all pop up and I tag all of them. So yeah, you can definitely find me on the socials. That's amazing. That's really good. So yeah, guys, you got, you got to find Professor Miguel. Listen to his podcast. Get on it. He knows his shit. All right. You listen to us. Jesus Christ, if you want some actual knowledge, professionalism, that's Professor Miguel right there. But don't stop listening to us. Oh, yeah, no, don't stop. <laughs> don't <laughs> stop listening to us and then listen to Miguel. Yeah, guys, guys keep, <laughs> keep sharing it out, okay? <laughs> some sort of British wisdom here, all right? But yeah, Miguel, thank you so much. Um, have an amazing time at ADCC in Denver. Um, we we'll look forward to catching up on your socials about what's going on there. Yeah. Yeah, thank you guys. I appreciate it. And, uh, listen, feel free, uh, you know, be sure to watch the Denver Open on Flow Grappling this weekend as well. It's going to be streaming live. You can check out all the mats and, you know, maybe you can catch me yelling at some uh, seven-year-olds who are doing illegal techniques. <laughs> Amazing. There we thank go, guys. Thank you so much, uh, Miguel. We really appreciate that. Thanks a lot, guys. I'll, uh, I'll definitely be listening to you guys and I'll talk to you soon for I sure. Appreciate it. Thank you. Take care, mate. See you later. Bye, guys. All right, Chris, we're still live and Miguel has just left us. What an awesome guy. Oh my God, I'm sweating. <laughs> You're sweating. Oh you God. have got a jumper on. Oh, yeah, I know. I've got shorts and a jumper. <laughs> Should have taken this off, mate. This is a bad, bad idea. Yeah, what an awesome guy. Yeah, yeah really, really cool. knows his jiu-jitsu. Very, very interesting guy. Um, and what I really like about him is he's got that, he's balancing all those things that he does. It's like a normal yeah. work job. And then, yeah. you know, jiu-jitsu on top, all the other things on top. That's amazing, That's really, awesome. isn't it? Yeah, he's a grinder, right? A workhorse. What do you call it? A hustler? Yeah, I don't know if that's the right word. Hustler. Yeah, it doesn't sound right, does it? <laughs> Probably. It sounds a bit dodgy. So, should we tell everyone where they can find us? They can find us on Instagram. They can. Yeah, better than Average Pod. I don't know how we swap this, by the way. <laughs> they can find us on TikTok. Better than Average Pod. They can find us at Facebook. Better than Average Pod. Or the Facebook. The, the, the Facebook. Sorry, Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> I mean, we're going to get you a white belt, mate. We'll still get you, mate. I love the fact there's people at home that are probably, like, they're on Facebook. They maybe don't like Mark Zuckerberg. They'll be like, oh, if I ever saw him, I'd punch him in the face. And it's like, you can't now, now because <laughs> unless you train, he's probably going to beat you. Good luck now. He started in the pandemic. <laughs> he's got three years in you. Three years of uh, MMA, jiu-jitsu. It's probably not worth you know, doing that. You're going to get beaten up by a dork. <laughs> <laughs> right. Guys, thank you. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, we sure did. So, um, out. <laughs> <laughs>